Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Like just about everything else in our lives, almost every part of our lives have been affected by COVID-19. The question is, how much and what exactly? Starting a new business is one of those things. I'm Chris William and welcome again to the most widely watched and longest running source of Carolina business, policy and public affairs seen each and every week for the last 30 years here on PBS across the Carolinas. In a moment, we'll start to unpack what it's what it is to be a small business, how to start up, and what those challenges may be now. Is it easier? Is it harder? Or is it just different? So what is being a startup in business? We begin right now. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, health care, rural churches, and children's services. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Steve Fletcher from Low Country Local First, Keith Daniel of Resilient Ventures, Dr. Layla Strickland, co-founder of Biomilk, and Michelle Lobel, co-founder of Bryn Pharma. And welcome again to our program. I think it's okay to say happy 4th of July, happy Independence Day. Uh, Michelle, Layla, Keith, Steve, welcome all. Uh, uh, Michelle, I'm going to start with you, whether it's fair or not. And let's start with this whole idea of being a startup whether you're looking for early stage financing or not, but backing up and zooming out a little bit, has the last 18 months during this public health crisis compounded being the startup, made it easier, been non-impactful? How do you look at it? Thank you, Chris, uh, for having me on the show today. And you know, it's an interesting question because when the pandemic first started for our company, for Britain, we were a virtual company. And so we were already working, everybody was remote. We were very used to that. Um, and so in the early kind of days, we were sort of laughing a little bit because everybody else was adjusting to something that we had been very used to already as a startup. Um, you know, and then of course, as this dragged on and time went on, and I think everybody got into a lull where we got tired of the Zoom kind of style meetings and wished we could have more together time. And I think for us, it really highlighted the importance of FaceTime and being together. We, while we were virtual, we used to gather, you know, every other month or so together in person as a management team. Um, and so about six months in is when we started to really miss that. Um, but, you know, look, I think we're, we're all resilient and we've had to learn how to do things. And, you know, we've had moments, I think one of the highlights for us has really been that there's a lot of efficiency, you know, we don't have to travel anymore. Um, we've gotten quite used to that. And it's amazing how much you can do uh, in Zoom meetings with, you know, we have lots of partners throughout uh, the research triangle that we engage with. And, and now we can get them all onto one Zoom and be incredibly effective 
uh, in those meetings without what used to would have been business travel and mm -hmm. you know lots of time going all over the country. So I think we've tried to see the positive in it, uh, but with all of that, you know, I would really say we're we're looking forward to you know starting to travel again in the FaceTime um, of being with our partners and making sure that we can keep things on track as best we can. Dr. Strickland, same question. Has it been tougher or a non-starter? It's almost um, impossible for me to say because almost all of BioMilk's history has taken place during the during the pandemic. Um, you know, my co-founder and I were a two-person team at the beginning of 2020 and had just begun our uh, journey uh, toward fundraising. In order, we had huge plans to build out our team and get our research program underway, and we're um, engaging with venture capitalist community at that time, and uh, had actually just received terms for our first deal in March of 2020 and closed the deal and, and proceeded in under the, you know, the conditions we've all been um, experiencing since then. And so uh, for us, you know, we, we, we went from a two person team to now a team of 17 total, um, very quick growth uh, through a period of time where we've had a lot of challenge with, uh, you know, building community, building culture on the team, uh, getting people who are complete strangers to work effectively and functionally together and uh, building cohesiveness towards our mission. And so I would say uh, it certainly hasn't been easy, but I don't know any other way to do it. I have not. <laughs> so it's, it's been, um, yeah, I think we've, we've had, we've had a lot of success. It's one of the things I'm most proud of that we've been able to become the, the cohesive team that we are today, even under those circumstances. Keith, Steve, just wait in on this and let's, let's go in a just slightly different. So over the last 18 months, Keith, have you seen, is it more collegial now among startups? Is that, is that a closer knit community or has it become more competitive? Well, my thought process initially going into the question, um, was thinking about our eight companies that we've invested in. We've been investing for the last two and a half years, we're actually in the year three, and we certainly saw one of our companies take a very difficult, uh, uh, the difficult, uh, experience great difficulty with, with the COVID impact. Uh, had to do with manufacturing and getting production going and um, still getting, getting the product online and so forth. The other companies were more ready, enabled, tech enabled and so forth, so we're able to manage that. Um, so we've seen, we've seen how hard it can hit some and, and, and others, as you say, that used to thriving in kind of technological environments and that just ramped things up, uh, per se. Mm -hmm. uh, we tried to create a level of collegiality within our network, and we certainly experienced that in terms of angel groups and um, other investors kind of understanding that we are kind of in new dynamics and working with our entrepreneurs and our founders to help them stay encouraged in, in, in many respects. I mean, this is about relationships for us. Um, uh, I cited that the, the word resilient was already, when we, when we chose that name back in 2018 before these varieties of pandemics and struggles that we're all facing, we, we kind of understood that our founders who happen to be founders of color, African-American in particular, uh, have always had to make a dollar out of 15 cents as my grandmama used to say. Uh, and so, We've seen that, but you know, we have a community of folks that have rallied. We've seen a lot of rallying in the ecosystem. So it's been, been good in that way. Steve, how do you characterize it? Yeah, first off, thanks for having me on, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity to be a part of this discussion. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd echo versions of what everyone has said. Here at Low Country Local First, we are 
in the business, so to speak, of local economic development. We are a nonprofit that uh, manages 450 plus members, all of whom are local independent businesses. And a large swath of that is, um, is characterized as probably as startup businesses, early stage businesses, nascent stage businesses. And I think uh, like folks have said, that type of, of, of enterprise has always been uh, has always been up against a, a particular slate of pressures and has had to find unique, innovative ways to pivot on a dime. Um, we've seen here in the greater Charleston area some really cool things happen. So I have seen some of that kind of collegial collaboration um, in the form of programs like Pay It Forward, where you had restaurants making up bagged lunches and giving them out to other food and bev industry workers. Um, a lot of the a lot of the time in a in town like Charleston, those restaurants are um, really usually new restaurants. A huge percentage of restaurants do not make it. So just by nature, the fact that a lot of these restaurants were new, um, I'd call them startups, and I'd say they did a really good job at finding ways to pivot and to make the most out of a bad situation. And yeah, it it I think it was the ultimate pressure test for startups. But I think that startups in particular are no strangers to that sort of uncertainty. Uh, Michelle, I want to come back to you on something. The idea that you know, we've heard, at, I would say, ad nauseum over the years, and this was before COVID, uh, that finding talent and getting the folks in the seats that were important to get in has been difficult at best prior to COVID. Have you found that to be exacerbated during COVID or has it gotten easier in some way? How would you, how, again, how would you characterize it? You know, it's a good question, and we were very worried about it going in. You know, that was something that really concerned us in the early days. Um, we have actually found that it has been no harder for us. Um, I think, again, going back to why we chose the RTP as our headquarters, you know, there's uh, just so many, um, there's such a network of life sciences partners there and talent. And so we've had, I would say it's been quite easy for us to attract people. You know, I think part of it is in a, in a startup culture, you know, look, we're doing something really interesting and disruptive and we catch people's attention. I mean, I think when you, when we talk to people in, in the life sciences industry, you know, I started Bryn as an outsider. Um, you know, I don't have a pharma background. I started this company out of a very personal need to develop a better epinephrine delivery system for my children and the millions of people out there that suffer from food allergies and are at risk of anaphylaxis. And that story resonates. That story resonated before the pandemic. And I find it continues to resonate. And so we've really been fortunate um, that it has not been a problem for us and that people are attracted to the company and what we're doing. Yeah, and Layla, you know, as you, as you just self-described that you said that, that biomilk is almost a product of the environment, not, not because of COVID, but during COVID. So how do you set whatever your standard is to find talent within what's going on right now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we um, we're we're in a in a sector that uh, you know most of the other companies in our sector are are working out of California or Boston or New York, um, and we we consider being located in the tri triangle really one of our our sort of secret weapons. It's been really actually very helpful to point to all of the advantages that this area has to offer um, as we've as we've 
been in the process of recruiting kind of continuously since we started. And, um, and, you know, we've actually attracted people from some of the, some of the more dense areas for our sector uh, to come here instead as a result of a number of the advantages of being here. And so, you know, we've been very fortunate in, in we've got specific skill sets that we're looking for, uh, um, and have been just delighted with the talent pool that we found both locally and the ability of this area to attract others, um, you know, from some of the more, more densely uh, utilized areas in our field. So. This is a question for any of you. And, you know, to use your term re recruiting or talent, you, you can't, I mean, we can't talk about recruiting. We can't talk about adding team. We can't talk about finding workers and talent without talking about it in reference to whatever this this new standard is around, are we working virtually or are we working physically in a space? Keith, Steve, anyone, is are we forever changed now in whatever that metric looks like between where our workforce is going to be? Well, in our case, we're, you know, we're doing, uh, we have a, a research and development program that really has to take place in a laboratory. So that's something we've had to navigate uh, throughout the entire experience. And, you know, we're very, very fortunate to be, to have a facility. We work at um, Alexandria Launch Labs, which is a facility in, in the triangle that's specifically created to um, address the needs of early stage startups like ours. And they've been just fantastic partners as far as creating a safe environment, promoting safe practices, and have really taken a lot of the, the sort of challenge off of the shoulders of, of leadership, myself and my co-founder, to, to, to set the standard for sort of how to keep each other safe as we're all, all having to work in the same environment. Anyone else? You want to go on record here? Sure. I, I, I've been fortunate um, to, my professional formation life has been in academia and uh, behind these uh, institutional walls uh, in, in the business school and in the health system at Duke. I've seen a, a lot of um, innovate, innovative spaces. I've, I feel like I've been fortunate because there there's, seems to be a level of need for our founders to anticipate, right? We talk about preparing three, five-year goals. Um, and so when your headspace is constantly being prepared to adapt and accept change. This has been seismic. Uh, what we've experienced, you know, the more I sit each day and I, I've reckoned with the pandemic, the social unrest, all of these things that are going on, uh, the mental health uh, effects has been a conversation. I was just, um, I just came back from vacation, by the way. I got back like one o'clock last night only to discover that my internet was out at my home and I have a beautiful studio at home that I love to be in. So I'm already adapting this morning to, to be on your show in a, in a space I was not planning to be in. Uh, but all that to say is I was I traveled up to meet with a mentor of mine who's at Yale now. And he's, a, he's an incredible uh, educator and been thinking about Western education and, and all the ways we've been formed and some of that struggle and challenge in it you know, the pandemic has upended everything. We have to rethink everything. And that in itself is a challenge. And that we enjoy that as, as investors, um, working with our founders and having really hard conversations, everything down to how we're managing our, our family lives. I mean, everything now is sort of forced into the space of a level of concentration. So in some regards, I, I take it as a good thing, but it has been difficult. We've had a lot of loss of life. I mean, just sitting and reckoning with that to think about 
our business interests and our and our aspirations to be successful and, and seeing our companies um, successfully grow. I should also punctuate that our companies are high growth, uh, uh, early stage companies already, you know, making revenue, already teams pretty much in place. We've only had one or two that have had to, uh, you know, find a new CTO or, or something like that. That hasn't been front and center for us. Um, but yeah, this is, everything has changed uh, and it, it's put a, a very high level of demand of how we think about our lives and our business uh, business uh, tra trajectories and uh, new questions that have to be reckoned with. Um, I don't necessarily think we should think so much about, we want it to go back to a certain way. I think it's sort of, it's sort of just accelerating the 21st century, even 21st century careers that we've been talking about in higher ed going going early up into the um, high school high school population. Well, and, and I want to say you had a spirit of this. This is a bit of a new adventure, Keith, the way you described it. But I want to go back that you said education referred to education twice. Michelle, I know it's not lost on you because you grew up in the triangle, even though you may be on the West Coast right now. And Steve, same thing for Charleston. There's a pretty big influence of higher ed. So how would Steve, let me start with you. How would you rank an academic center is an influence for a startup. Yeah, I mean, I think there's no denying that it uh, it it is only positive to be in close proximity, physically, culturally, socially, to an academic center. I mean, there's a lot that bears out in the research to suggest that uh, you know being within a metro center where there are academic institutions, there's going to be natural uh, natural positive impacts and outcomes just through osmosis. Um, there are events, there are cultural exhibitions, there are opportunities to research. Um, and so I think that probably, you know, elevates the, the playing field when you're thinking about startups in general. Um, I don't want to halt the conversation, but I, Chris, if I may, I just wanted to tag one thing on to the, to the bit about recruitment earlier. Um, one of the top challenges, actually the top challenge as indicated in our annual member survey this year, which was administered kind of um, right in the midst of the pandemic, was hiring and retention. So we get we we send that out to all of our to all of our hundreds of members here in the greater Charleston area, and and there's a lot you can surmise by that. It's the first time that it's been indicated as the number one top challenges for business owners. And again, these are business owners across different strata in terms of size, stage, age, um, but a large number of them were startups and were nascent stage businesses. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of ways to evaluate that response, Chris. And, and, and I agree with what everyone was mentioning in that the nature, the, the tectonic nature of our business community, particularly when you're looking at these fledgling businesses, is changing by the day. The unique circumstances around COVID-19 and its ripple effects, I think had a lot of individuals double down on forms of technology, which have been in existence for a while now, but out of necessity have had to use Zoom, have had to use GoToMeetings, have had to be more flexible and have had to lean on some of these um, computer technologies. Unfortunately, there are many industries and there are many startup companies within those industries that just aren't able to pivot on a dime and, and overnight 
make use of these emerging technologies. And so we have a program here at Low Country Local First called Good Enterprises. It is aimed to serve folks who are in the entrepreneurial community but have been have been disadvantaged for one reason or another. Um, and those folks are oftentimes uh, in businesses that are uh, bakeries or are carpenters or in the trades. Right. And so the unique set of circumstances that surrounded this unprecedented global pandemic, unfortunately, made things even more difficult for those companies. So not only were things more difficult, but when you're looking at hiring and retention and recruitment, how do you set up interviews? How do you find these individuals? How do you continue to cultivate a company culture uh, in a construction company that's, that's a startup. We think about startup, we think about technology. Sure, a lot of those startups were benefited by this brave new world of, of Zoom-centric interaction, um, but it, it, it just wasn't the case, unfortunately, for a lot of these startups, these new nascent fledgling businesses that were not in the information space. Okay, sorry, Steve, but we do want to pivot. Thank you, that, that is an important point, but the idea that goes hand in hand with recruitment and talent is, of course, the O2 for business, the oxygen for business, and that's capital and financing. Uh, Bryn was pretty exceptional in its not just first round, but its its money raised early on. Twenty six million is is an eye popping, uh, I might say, Michelle. Uh, uh, Layla, same thing. Maybe not as large as twenty six million, but some of the some of the names that you raised money from were pretty exceptional. Was that? Uh, and apologies for asking it this way. Was that because you were a women-owned business? Was that because of the corpus of what the business was? Was that because it was a unique time during COVID-19? How, how do you attribute the success of the money raise for you, for you both? Michelle, would you like to go? <laughs> sure, I'd be happy to. I'll answer as well, but... <laughs> No, no, it's, it's a good question. And, you know, I think in our case, in the case of Bryn, you know, in fact, what I think is it's such a relatable product and it's a problem that touches every American. And so I think, you know, when we would go into these fundraising meetings and we would sit around the table, there would be 10 people around the table and more than half of them knew somebody personally, if not in their family, a close friend who was affected by the risk of anaphylaxis, whose children had food allergies or their friends had food allergies. So I think in our case, you know, we're a life sciences company. We're taking a product through the FDA, which is highly regulated, but in many ways, we're a consumer product. You know, it's very relatable. And so, yes, I would love to say that because I'm a woman, that's been helpful to us. Um, and I do think, you know, especially in North Carolina, I think there's been tremendous success. You know, you've seen over the last year, like there was the article in the News and Observer this past, I think it was April about a women-led startups. You know, I think there's, we're getting a lot of attention and I think we're making huge progress as co-founders that are women and in headways. But I think in our case, the success we've had with raising capital has really been um, that we have a really unique product and a very relatable story. Um, and I hope that I can use that opportunity to help kind of highlight women-owned businesses, absolutely, and, and bring more credit to what we can do. Layla, how did, you, how did you attract some iconic names to invest in the business? How'd you do that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think our our story is quite similar, even though our, our product areas are very different. Um, you know, I was my my business, Biomilk, was started out of my own struggles with the breastfeeding process and a real desire to improve the options for infant nutrition for women who were struggling with that process. And that was a very personal experience that intersected well with my background as a biologist and understanding how how we might be able to apply the, that skill set to address this problem. And I think when we began fundraising and talking to, um, to, you know, frankly, a very male dominated community of venture capitalists, many of those people had not, you know, had the, <laughs> hadn't experienced the challenges that I personally had, but, but knew someone who had either their own wife or sister or someone in their lives um, could recognize in the story that I had to tell um, struggles that they had seen and, and the absence of solutions really to address that, that, that challenge. And I think that was instrumental. I, I wish we could unpack the financing and the women's startup more, but we literally have two minutes left. Keith, I want to, I want to turn to you on this and this is not nearly enough time, but Keith, I, it, coming off of the horrible tragedy of, of George Floyd and all that represented at the time, do you think now the raw emotion that was surrounding that has given way to some, some progressive with a small P, um, strategic initiatives around diversity and equity inclusion that are really good, have found legs and are going to move forward. And we have about a minute, minute and a half. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I well. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, no, I understand. Yeah. It, it, again, it's, it's been an incredible time of reckoning and indeed there has been a consciousness that's been raised that I hope will, su we will sustain over a, a stretch of time that will really begin to to um, address the equity concerns while we got into this business was principally around seeing the, the inequities in venture and in financing and the disparities that are tremendously um, significant. Uh, the gaps are wide in terms of wealth um, accumulation in, in the uh, people of color communities. And so, yeah, there's been a, a strong um, push and DE&I work, uh, those positions have become um, uh, substantial for companies. And we think it's been a good thing overall. Okay, all right, Keith, thank you. And, and again, that's, there's not nearly enough time to scratch the surface on that and where it's headed from there. Uh, Steve down at Charleston, uh, glad to have you on the program. Keith up in Durham, thank you. Michelle out there thank on the you. West Coast, you know, I'm sure they miss you from the triangle, but I know you're doing good things. And, and Layla Strickland, thank you for joining us as well. Uh, all of you, best wishes, please come back. We just didn't get to all the, all the most important stuff as well, but uh, see you next time and I hope you'll come back. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Thank you very much. Uh, happy 4th of July to all of you. If you have any questions or comments, carolinabusinessreview.org. Have a good weekend. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina and by viewers like you. Thank you.